when we look at this, we see this is a large place, right? 15,000 people, and then suddenly dissolved. Uh, you know, and colloquially it's called Kohikia, even though we don't know the name of this city, right? You know, what was going on here? You know, after it was destroyed, you know, and for for the hundreds of miles of river valleys around it, there were no human habit. There were no human habitats, right? It was called a vacant quarter. Why, right? Well, we saw that there were successor kingdoms to the south, but that they crumbled. Now, by the time the uh, Europeans arrived on the eastern seaboard of North America, right, it, the the Mississippian civilization, as it was known or come to be known, hadn't been around for so for a long time, and instead, people had reorganized themselves into city-sized, polis-sized tribal republics that were, you know, stewards of the environment, um, trying to minimize impact and, or at least, you know have an impact and balance, right? You know, what the fuck happened? Where did the massive city go? Why did we have this dead zone, this dead land in the middle of a really, really fertile river valley? Uh, you know, as they asked, were the rulers of Kohikia and other Mississippian cities overthrown by popular uprisings, undermined by mass defection, victims of ecological catastrophe, or more likely some intricate mix of all three? We don't have the answers right now, but what we can say with some confidence, though, as they write, is that, quote, the societies encountered by European invaders from the 16th century onwards were the product of centuries of political conflict and self-conscious debate. They were, in many cases, societies in which the ability to engage in self-conscious political debate was itself considered one of the highest human values, right? And that it's hard for us to imagine the fanatic dev- devotion that these sorts of people like Condorac had individual liberty or to skeptical rationalism, right? Without understanding this historical context, which is what the rest of the chapter is, is dedicated to, right? That even though Europeans would insist that they were innocent children of nature, that they, they had actually, they were the, heir, the heirs and the stewards of a legacy that stretched back centuries and was a really complex, rich intellectual, political, philosophical, social history, right? That had taken a very divergent route from what we saw in Europe and Asia. Um, and we are supposed to treat all of that also as a silly argument, right? Um, and, and for most of history, people have treated it as a silly argument. They've said that the indigenous peoples aren't really humans. They aren't really present. They didn't have other uh, historical periods. They didn't have philosophical movements. They didn't have their own societies, right? And that, you know, as a result, quote, if the indigenous peoples of North America aren't being imagined as living in a separate time or as vestiges of some earlier stage of human history, then they're imagined as living in an entirely separate reality. Ontology is the currently fashionable term. A mythic consciousness fundamentally different from our own. If nothing else, it is assumed that any intellectual tradition similar to that which produced Plutonius, Shankara, or Shangzu can only be the product of a literary tradition in which knowledge becomes cumulative. And since North America did not produce a right or written tradition, or at least not the sort we are used to recognizing as such, any knowledge it generated, political or otherwise, was necessarily a different kind, right? And so this kind of coincidentally sets it up in our favor, right? We don't have to really engage with them. It's not a real culture. It's not a civilization. It's not a real philosophy. It's not a real intellectual uh, lineage of ideas. They just came to these because they're innocent children of nature, not because there was an actual series of events, choices, decisions, consequences, uh, collapses, conflicts, rebellions, catastrophes that forged how they see the world, which is how human beings in every other part of the world are understood to be. You know, this, again, I think also speaks to, like, you know, uh, 
uh, further excavating of just the deeply racist and anti-human viewpoints that are projected onto um, indigenous thought and theory, right? You know, they use a historical answer to kind of like flesh out and think through how this one author tries to and, and fails to understand the Wendat and Condorac's culture, right? Because, you know, here... He looks at, he, you know, he, he, there's a, a section, right, where they cite a text that describes a concept, uh, the Wendat, uh, the Huron, uh, called Ondimnok, uh, which was a secret desire of the soul manifested by dream. In the section they write, Hurons believe that our souls have other desires, which are, as it were, inborn and concealed. They believe that our soul makes these natural desires known by means of dreams, which are its language. Accordingly, when these desires are accomplished, it is satisfied. But on the contrary, if it were not granted what it desires, it becomes angry. And not only does it give its body, not give its body the good and happiness that it wished to procure for it, but often it revolts against the body, causing various diseases and even death. And that as a result, these secret desires are communicated in dreams and indirect symbolic languages that are hard to understand. And so the Wendats spend a lot of time trying to decipher what the dreaming, what their meaning of their dreams are. And they have experts and consults, uh, consulting specialists. This is a pre-Freudian analysis. This is a pre-Freudian ideology. I mean, this is from 1649, written by Father Ragnarunu, um, a Jesuit, 250 years before uh, Freud's interpretation of dreams in 1899 came about, right? You know, this is seen as core post-enlightenment 20th century thought, and it is observed by French Jesuit among the Huron tribe as they're trying to understand what uh, their culture and the interiority is like. And we have other missionaries who report similar theories. They concluded were absurd and obviously false, and quote, though probably they concluded not actually demonic. You know, you had to make sure, you had to make sure they weren't demonic. Um, and use the Bible instead of refute. So what does this mean? Does this mean Condorac was grew up with Freudians? No, because, you know, Freudian psychoanalysis and Iroquoian practice are very different. Specifically in that Iroquoian practice is more, you know, has a more collective nature in this therapy, right? As they write, you know, dream guessing is, is a group activity. You realize that the desires of the dreamer, literally or symbolically, and that is done by mobilizing the entire community. And in the winter months, you might see a Wendat town that was devoted to organizing collective feasts and dramas, literally in order to make some important man or woman's dreams come true. The point here is that it would be very unwise to dismiss such intellectual traditions as inferior, or for that matter, entirely alien to our own. And this is something that we just see constantly over and over and over and over and over again, which overlooks, as they point out, and is going to be a core part of the chapter, a lot of other societies are destroyed, they're reduced to traumatized remnants before records are written down. So we can't even imagine, I mean, we can intuit sometimes and, and look at some scraps of the intellectual traditions that were lost. But specifically in the Eastern woodlands, we see this a lot, right? We're trying to understand what were the roots of the indigenous critique and how did this spring up, you know, uh, to create such a powerful moral criticism of the enlightenment. How did we reach a point in society where we're at right now where the only way you can have dreams come true is if you're dying of cancer? Yeah, isn't that crazy that they would just be like, let's have a feast and make it happen. Make a wish foundation. They did shut down all of San Francisco that one time for that one little kid who wanted to be Batman. 
We can do big things in this society. We can yeah. do big things in this world. <laughs> we can bleep this, but uh, you know, we could do, we could make that kid's dreams come true. You could also, you know. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>